My name is Richard Morellis, and I want to welcome you to the Prison Post. This is your podcast for conversations surrounding the need to reform prisons from the perspective of formerly incarcerated people, community members, and leaders in the restorative justice movement. The Prison Post will feature an episode every Wednesday with people who are in the fight to restore lives and heal communities. Training facility, Soledad, California. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. To accept this call, say or dial 5 now. Thank you for using Global Tail Link. How you doing, James? Hey, I'm doing great. How about yourself, Rich? Doing pretty good. How you feeling since our last interview? Oh, man, I, I feel great, man. Uh, it, it was awesome. You know, I, it, I, I don't know. I guess I needed it. I didn't know it, but I needed it. Had that, those conversations what we had, and then it was, like I said, last night, then I went to go in there with Palmer and be around uh, that environment. So it, it was awesome. What was going on with Palmer? What was the environment there? Also, uh, we, we we just had a basic conversation yesterday. It switched up a little bit from what we what we normally do because it was they had homecoming, so a lot of the students didn't come, and so they took the opportunity. We just took the opportunity to like to get to know some of the people that were there, and so like the youngster who was there, he's 16 years old. He was just you know we were talking about technology and movies, and just one of the questions that um Jim wanted to ask us was how could we grow stronger as a family and so our, our whole thing was just getting to know each other you know just having conversations with each other that are not like form conversations stay inside this box you know but just whatever you know we'll talk about whatever you guys want to talk about what are your interests and all that and it was just a great environment and then manny thomas the third he's leaving going home friday so he got opportunity to get up there and speak and just tell us you know about what that program meant to him, the conversations we've all had with him meant to him, and um, everybody got real emotional, and it was just a, a great moment in those relationships. And I just want to want to bring some clarity to who Palma School is. I know that they're a prestigious boy all boys school in Monterey County. It's a, a private school, and Jim Micheletti and Mia Mirasu are the coordinators from that school who bring in the uh, students. What does the structure of a day look like from four to six when the Palma High School students come in? Okay, so yeah, on a normal day, they come in with about, I say, from anywhere from seven to 10 faculty members, from 15 to 20 students. And when they come in, we're all broke down into small groups that we call families. And what we do is either we're reading a Steinbeck book, we're reading Man Search for Meaning by Victor Franco, or we're reading some poetry or some verses that they just like touch somebody, and then we read them together, and then we discuss them, and then we get up at the end and go in front of the big group and then talk about you know what what we talked about in our small groups and, and what it meant to us, and just share insights into what we read and just life in general. And so that's like the basics of it. And um, we all learn and grow from it. And a little more about Palma is like, it's a, like you said, it's an all-boys uh, Catholic school and it's a high school. And they do so much in the community. They build houses. They feed the homeless. They And they obviously they come in here to prison and spend time with prisoners and, and let prisoners see that, hey, people out there still believe you guys are human beings. And so, you know, keep doing what you're doing and come home to us. 
earlier in our in our interview, you talked about the Men Built Brothers Scholarship. Could you speak to that right now? Yes. Uh, so Phoenix Alliance, one of the L tags here at uh, Central Pepsi, South yeah, so L tag is uh okay, so man, do I remember what L tag stands for? Yes, uh leisurely activity uh group. So what what those groups are about are basically self help groups that inmates put together by themselves and facilitate by themselves, help support each other in their growth and development and here get clarity on their lives and just move forward. What they also do, they do fundraisers to raise money for the outside community. So, like, say the Gilroy Garlic Festival, they had a tragedy accident, I mean, not an accident, a tragic incident that just happened where a lone gunman went there and, and killed killed people and terrorized that community. And so LTAGs in here would see that out there and raise some money and then donate it out there so they can use it to benefit that community. You know, those are some of the things. So homeless shelters, Abuse uh, centers for women and children. That's what um, most of the L tags in there strive to raise money to send to those type of organizations to help out there in the community. That's basically what the L tags are. And so, one Phoenix Alliance has a partnership with Palmer High School, and since they were coming up here and reading with us, what what was decided was that hey, this is a great opportunity for this great school to try to send someone because it's a private school. And so obviously it has a, a tuition that needs to be paid. And it's, it's very expensive to, to attend that school. And so a lot of people from around this immediate area, Soledad, Gonzalez, Salinas, they're not that rich. They don't have that much money. And so Phoenix Alliance decided, hey, we want to go send a, a young man from one of these neighborhoods, gang-infested neighborhoods, drug-infested neighborhoods that might not have the opportunity beforehand, we want to send one of these young men to this school. And so that's what the Phoenix Alliance decided to do. That's what the Men Built for Others Scholarship Fund is about. In the book, Men Built for Others, all the proceeds are donated to that scholarship fund, and we're actively engaging. Matter of fact, one starting on the 7th of this month, we're going to start another round of fundraising from inmates giving off their own accounts to send money to that scholarship fund. Uh, that's awesome. I know that to date, the Men Bill Further Scholarship has raised $28,000. Has The student that they've been sponsoring, his name is Sion Newson Allen Green. Uh, I know that uh, he's been into the prison there multiple times and that he's a senior in high school now making A's and B's. A wonderful story. Not to mention that just about six months or so, that Sai's father, uh, Frank Green, uh, he he got the news that he needed a heart transplant. And so just, uh, I think, uh, several months ago, was it that he was uh, taken to Stanford Hospital and, and, and they had a, a donor, a heart donor for him. Everything that I've heard is the heart is working well inside of him and, and he's doing well. I've talked to him on the phone a couple of times. And it's just amazing to see that he has a heart pumping in him. He's so excited that his son is a senior in high school and is doing so well in school. So, man, what what an opportunity it is to be able to raise funds in there and to send a young man a promise to school and with the opportunity to go to college. You know, it's a, it's a great opportunity, and it's amazing because when Phoenix Alliance first started that 
fundraiser to raise money for that scholarship fund. They didn't pick. They had nothing to do. We had nothing to do with the child that they they chose. The school chose the child, and it just so happened that they needed it so bad, you know, with with his mother having health problems and his father having these health problems. And like you said, he just recently had a heart transplant. And fortunately, last night, we were able to spend some time. Sai and his mother came up, and we were able to talk to Sai and his mother a little bit about Frank and his condition and how he's going and um, he wants to come up in a couple weeks once he's feeling stronger and spend some time at the prison with us. And Cy, like you talked about his grades, he just got a B in Mandarin, and he was able to share that with us, and so we were all excited about that. So yesterday we, we were talking about a concept that's near and dear to your heart and that's near and dear to your transformation. Uh, it was the concept of the victim responsible that, it was a major way of being in your life, a major way that it used to be as far as uh, your thinking, your attitude, your behavior was always victimized, you know. And, and then today you take a strong stance on taking responsibility. Would you tell us a little bit more about this concept and how how you apply it to your life? Yeah, so the, the concept was originally introduced to me in a group called Cornerstone. And it, it, it goes a little bit like this, just to... The way that the concept is, is explained to people is like, so you give a victim story, you tell a victim story, and you usually get, you get payoffs from being a victim. Even if you don't know it or not at that moment, you're getting some payoffs from it. So I say for me, all my life, when I would say, hey, it was the system that was the problem. Um, it was my victim that was the problem. The payoff I got is I didn't have to take responsibility. I didn't have to look at myself as being a bad person. I was still a good person because it was these circumstances are the only reason that I committed my crime. That's what I was able to tell myself. So now you want to flip that, and you want to say that exact same story, and you want to look for every bit of your contribution in it, even if that person was out of bounds and what they did to you, like someone putting a gun to your head. That's not right. And what was my contribution? That's where the power is. And so I provoked this guy to put the gun to my head. After he put the gun to my head, I could have went and called the police. There was many things that I could have did, but I chose to come back and murder this man. And so in doing that, now I'm no longer the victim and I'm responsible. And even though it might hurt at first, what it does is it gives me the power to find out why I did what I did. And if I don't want to do that again, to fix it and never do it again. And so it, it just gives me absolute power over my life. That's great. That's, that, and that's what it's all about. Uh, being there so long, it sounds like that's one of the principles that drives you today, an empowering perspective of just owning responsibility. I mean, even if your responsibility in a situation, you get in an argument or something, even if your responsibility was 1% or 5% in the scenario or situation or circumstance that you experienced, whether it be in a conversation with somebody or a debate or an argument, for you to, for you to look at yourself first and as, as, as someone has said, you know, to look in the mirror first instead of looking out the window and blaming others, to look in the mirror first and saying, how can I own my part? And even if my yeah. part's 5%, I'm going to own 100% of that 5%. It seems like just such a much more empowering way to live. No, no, absolutely. And like for someone in here with an indeterminate sentence that, that has to go to the parole board to get found suitable, as you know, you went on your first first try and you got found suitable and got out. As you know, I got found not suitable. And so I had to do more time and I had to look at myself 
And so a lot of guys in here that get found not suitable, when you have a conversation with them, you ask them, hey, what happened at board? And they tell you what the board said, I didn't have enough insight, or the board said this, the board felt this way. And so what that is is like this. If I'm looking at it like that, and that's to me that's a victim way to look at it because what I'm saying is I did everything I could, and the board still denied me. And the problem with that is they can always deny me if those are the facts. So if I look at it like this, like, hey, the, why did you get found not suitable? Because I didn't have enough insight. So I'm owning that. It, it's not the board saying I didn't have insight. Then the power is now I can go get that insight. Now I'll, I'll be willing exactly. to take that responsibility and go get it instead of just blaming them for it. And so that's where the power in everything lies. We have some questions from uh, our listeners out there, uh, our followers on Facebook. And so the first question, James, is do you believe that you'll be found suitable for parole in March of next year? Yes, I do. And the reason why I do believe that is because I believe I put in the work. I don't believe I deserve to get found suitable. I want to make that clear. I think there's a difference between deserving to get found suitable because you did some work and not being a threat to society, which I believe is the whole purpose of guys getting paroled because they no longer pose a threat to society. And I no longer pose a threat to society. And so that's the reason I believe I will be found suitable. That's great, James. And we wish you the best. Uh, we'll, we'll be lifting you up in our thoughts and prayers. Another question was, what are you most fired up about today? Oh, man, I'm most fired up about the future and like this the excitement that I have for when giving back just in, in any 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 way I can. And so when I say that, like it's a lot of stuff going on around here that I'm able to give back to right now. And uh, just like what I was talking about earlier about the palm of these students, these high school students. And then we do we got some stuff coming up right now with Hardnell College and um, the stuff that we're doing with them. And I'm also involved in a, a group here called We Care, and they bring even younger children in, and we give them tours of the prison, and we sit down one-on-one -on -one with them and mentor them through some tough times they're going through to try to, it's, not, it's different from Scare Scrape. It's like we're showing them We Care, but these are practical realities if you continue down that path to coming here. And so just like working with the, all these different youth, knowing that I spend most of my youth in prison and even before that, just consumed with a, a prison, a, a belief system that, that kept me in prison where I wasn't able to, I believe, function like a normal child, you know. And uh, I'm just real fired up about the future and, and where, where I'm going with my life and the value that I believe I can add to other people's lives. What are some of the plans that you have for your future? Oh, some of the plans I have, uh, the first thing is, is getting found suitable. Um, once I once I get found suitable, some of my plans are to go out and, and work with uh, you and, and, and Matt Braden and Ted Gray and uh, the Phoenix Alliance that, that's moving to the streets, you know, from, from behind these bars and, and right took on, on the name of Crop, took on the name of Crop and, and promoting promoting the book Men Built for Others and um, writing other books and, and doing other projects that just, and coming back into prison. I know that sounds funny probably to a lot of people. I hear it all the time, man, I'll never come back to prison, and, I, and I'm and i never coming back with a CDCR on my back. However, 
it's so much work to do in here. It, 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 it's, it's, it's incredible. I, I see counselors come in every day and work in the SAP and LTOP programs, and they're uncommitted. They, they're getting a paycheck. And then I see the, the guys in blue that are really fighting and really struggling and really understand what it takes to get found suitable, to live suitable. And I say to myself, hey, this work isn't for everybody, but somebody needs to do it. And so I'm real fired up, man, about maybe possibly having an opportunity to come back in here and add value because I believe adding value in here to guys' lives and getting them where they're living suitable in here will only benefit everybody as a whole, as far as our whole communities, even out there. Like, look, no, if, if I'm suitable in here, I'm going to get out there and I'm not going to commit more crimes. And so that's for everybody. And so I'm real fired up, and uh, I see that as a big part of my future. And that's great, I, and I hope you share that with some of the commissioners. I'm sure not too many people that are going to the parole board are, are sharing in their future plans and their goal list for the future that one of them is to go back into the prison to add value to the prison to do what is ultimately our goal here, which is to get these stories out, to transform the culture of prison by letting people hear that transformation is possible and also shifting the way people think about prison in America. You see all these shows, these lockups and, and these types of shows that just show the people who are still committed to their criminality. And we want the people, the people of America, people in California to know that not everybody's like that. There are men who are seriously committed to transform their lives, to getting an education, to giving back, to being of service. I think it's awesome that you're using your time and your talents to make a difference for now and for all eternity. So I just want to commend you on that, Jay. Uh, thank you. And we have uh, another question here. It says, what advice do you have for others as you prepare for the parole board? So the, the main thing is be honest, honest with yourself before time. You know if you're still not doing the things that you should be doing, you know, to get found suitable, to live suitable, if you're putting yourself at risk. You, you know it. So you have to be honest with yourself, and you have to get feedback from guys that are willing to give you the raw, uncut feedback and not be an accomplice, not be someone who just doesn't want to hurt your feelings and tell you, hey, look, man, you need to step up in this area. I mean, get that feedback. And then the, the main thing is when you go – to the site, which is your first conversation with the board, because that's that's their appointed psychiatrist to diagnose you and, and give you a report, to be brutally honest, brutally honest. Look, there's no reason to lie. There's no reason to minimize and try to justify what you did. Only thing that does is tell me that that person is still inside of you. You know, that's what it tells the board members. That's what it tells the site, that if you're trying to minimize what you're doing, you're trying to hide that person, you're trying to help that person that committed those crimes, that he still exists and he's inside of you. So just be brutally honest. You know what you did and be honest about it. Even if it's not on record, just be honest. I believe if you're honest and you're true with yourself, then it's just a conversation that'll it'll go smooth. That's it right there. Another question is, who has been your greatest influence in the area of your recovery and your rehabilitation? So I have a, a few in my area of recovery and re rehabilitation. A guy who probably his name will be kicked around a lot on these different podcasts is, is Jesse Bonderman, who came in with the Cornerstone and who I was able to learn from and be mentored by for a few years here before he moved on to other things. 
um, you, just just watching your example, watching how you were truthful with yourself, watching how you were truthful with your family, integrity-wise, and just being open and honest, being willing there to be there for other people, guys like Ted Gray, for the exact same reasons, who were willing to have conversations with me that were uncomfortable conversations. Sometimes, man, we think, like, to be my friend or to be someone's friend, you just have to have the conversations that are easy conversations. But I believe it's the opposite. To be someone's true friend, to really support them, you have to have tough conversations sometimes. Whatever it's about, whether it's about criminality, intentions, religion, those are some of the guys that, like, were willing to have those conversations with me. I shared another guy, Harvey Hawks, who was willing to have conversations with me and like again doesn't even know the full impact that he had on my life but really did just by the the seeds he's planted jason bryant who who was my friend who is still in here right now and continues to have these same conversations with me and continues to set the example like that look you don't have to buy into this prison politics you don't have to buy into the way it is you can choose to do whatever you want to do and get up out of here man thanks james that's awesome I appreciate you too, brother. I got another one here. What is the biggest change that you see in yourself since the beginning of your incarceration? My openness. My openness to to challenge any belief that I have. For a long time, I I, I was unwilling to challenge my beliefs. When I got feedback from people, I would say, hey, they're haters. If I didn't agree with them, they're haters or something's going on with them. They have a reason for saying what they want to say about me. But now, like, I'm so open to, like, hear feedback from people and say, hey, this, and I can challenge myself now and say, hey, you know what? That might not have been my intention, so let me find out what they were and let me address this. And I, what I do now is I look at my beliefs like this. All the beliefs I have aren't bad. Some of the beliefs I had, even as a child, were good beliefs. And so what I do now is I challenge them based on well, who I am now and who I want to be in the future, what the plans I have for myself. And if that belief will cause me to do something or behave or, or think or, or have an attitude in a way that is not in integrity with that, then I challenge it, find out where it came from, and I get rid of it. And I'm open to new beliefs and I'm open to new ideas and new, meeting new people. And before, I wasn't. Man, thank you, James. Openness. It sounds like that was gonna be that was gonna be my ne- my next question. Personally, what is the biggest difference between how you thought when you first came to prison and how you think now? And it sounds like you know you just answered it right there. Is before just being closed down, if anybody ever challenged you or had different ideas than you, then they were a hater. But today, just being able to uh, entertain an idea, even if you don't agree with it, willing to look at it, listen to it, consider it. And think about uh, whether if there's if there's anything there or not, and if there is, see how it could apply to your life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, when when you're in that victim mode, when you're in that irresponsible mode, you know you're just looking for evidence to confirm what you already believe. But when you're in a responsible <laughs> yeah. state of mind, yeah, when you're in a responsible state of mind, like you're like, hey, look, this this possible that, that what he just said is possible. So let me let me at least entertain it. You know, I remember back, uh, it's a conversation. It wasn't about rehabilitation or it wasn't about, um, you know, the parole or anything like that. It was a conversation me and Ted Gray had together. And uh, he asked me one day, he said, hey, man, uh, why are you a Muslim? 
you know. And uh, he was like, I hope I didn't offend you in that. But he knew who he wasn't. He knew he could have that conversation with me. But the whole thing was, before, I wouldn't even consider why I was a Muslim or whatever. I would just, you know, hey, look, this is the way it is. But when he asked me that question, I, I, I was open. Like, why am I a Muslim, you know? And I started really analyzing that. And to this day, I'm still, you know, deciding what faith is best for me. But at the same time, I, I found out through that question and being open to that question then I did become a Muslim for the wrong reasons. What were those reasons? Well, again, like I said, when I, when I committed my crime I was an angry young young guy who was steeped in criminality and irresponsibility blamed everything and everybody for my problems. Now, when, when I got arrested for murder, I knew even before then, like, I was like, hey, this gang stuff, it ain't all what it's cracked up to be. Uh, guys out there, I had different things going on with um, so-called homeboys from my gang where I knew it was kind of a lie. You know, it was a lie, the life we were living. So I had already decided on that. And so when I was in the county jail fighting this time and I had a lot of time to think and read, I started processing, like, hey, I want to get out this gang life. And so... Let me let me turn to God. You know, a lot of people turn to God. And so now, here I am. I'm exposed to, you know, the Bible. I, I got the Quran, and I'm reading the Quran. And there were some black Muslims in there called the Ansel Muhammad. And their definition of being a Muslim and, and being a man of God is you can blame everything on the white man and the system and still be a man of God. And so that fit perfectly into my paradigm. You know, what I right. already believed, that I could still be a victim and be a man of God. And so in my opinion, looking back on it now, that's exactly why it appealed to me, because it fit what I was already believing in anyway. Uh, again, my belief, remember, at the time was, was irresponsibility. It was the system that, uh, you know, did me over. I shouldn't even be in jail for murder. The, the way I was sent to group homes, the way... My mother raised me. Everything was about everybody else. I was blaming everybody. And so this ideology uh, or branch of the Nation of Islam was called the Ansel Muhammad. They they preached that, hey, you know, you can be a man of God and still blame all your faults on, on other people and on the system. And so it just fit perfectly. So you mean I can be a gang man? I, I don't have to be a gang member and I can still have these same beliefs? So I was like, so that's what in my initial... Um, joining Islam, that's why I went there. Now, when Ted asked me that question years and years later, I asked myself, so just because I'm admitting to that, that uh, it was for the wrong reasons, doesn't mean that Islam is wrong for me. It just means I went there to for the wrong reasons. And and I went right. to like somebody going somebody going to the group for the group we call them chrono chasers, you know. So what that means is someone who goes to these self help groups just to get chronos, just to get stuff in their file. And just because someone initially starts to do that doesn't mean they won't hear something that changes their life. And then they wind up becoming, you know, it's a great example of um, change, you know. I said that to myself, the same thing could equate to Islam. But now I've really been studying it and really analyzing things that I had believed to be true before that I found that are not true now. And so it all started, like I said, from that one question, though. And I had to be open to that question. Otherwise, I would have never even tried to, you know, go there. Yeah, that was a great, que was a great question that, that Ted asked you. And it, it seems like it goes without saying that today you have a total different definition of what it means to be a man of God. 
Oh yeah, for oh, most definitely. Um, I remember like being on level four prisons, and we talked about the difference in the levels of prisons, and where it was a lot of violence and, and a lot of racial stuff going on. And the majority of Muslims that are in prison are black. Every once in a while, you'll have some different races that that, that come through the different levels of institutions that are that are not black. But for the most part, ninety five percent of all Muslims in prison are are black in state prisons anyway. When we were on these yards and we were calling ourselves men of, men of God, you know, but I was still carrying weapons. I, I would have any MA manufactured weapon on me. And if anything happened with another race, we were willing to go. You know, we're like, hey, let's go. You know, it's, it's a black issue. But we were calling ourselves men of God and we were out there doing these things. So Obviously, I had a distorted belief and uh, understanding of what a man of God is, because any book you read, I don't care if it's the Bible, the Quran, the Torah, a man of God is someone who is giving, someone who is concerned with, with other humanity. And so that's like my definition now is like, it's a quote that I read a while ago. It says, should I ask the man who's in the trenches with me fighting for humankind what doctrine he follows and so like i mean to me that's like wow you know shit like if, if we're both doing good and we're, we're trying to do a project together and i'm saying i'm not going to work with you because you're not a muslim i'm saying hey i don't believe that's being a man of god that's some kind of racial or spiritual or whatever crap that i'm dealing with it, it has nothing to do with being a man of god i should be able to help anybody regardless of their faith Regardless of my faith, I should be able to help that, that human being because he's a human being and because he's a creature of God. That's great, James. Okay, we got a couple more questions here. And uh, the, uh, this one's uh, coming in from my mom. My mom personally, uh, she said, did you know my son? And if so, how did he inspire or help you? <laughs> okay, well, first of all, hello, mom. <laughs> uh, yes, and, and yes, I, I know Richard. Um He's going to love you. Hey, so so I remember one day, so it was a while back, before this prison is a level two, but recently it turned to more to a more of a violent prison, a more of a um, structured prison where there's a lot of disciplinary stuff, a lot of riots and stuff going on. But when I first got here, it wasn't like that. There was just a lot of programming, a lot of self-help, a lot of guys supporting each other and going home. And so... They had, this prison had deemed this one building, they were going to make it the honor win. It's because of who was down there. Like, I didn't care. They said, we're going to have a microwave. We're going to have a refrigerator, I think. Uh, it was a few other things that normally aren't in the other wings that they were going to put in these wings. So a lot of guys were trying to get down there because they were going to have access to those things. I didn't care about any of those things. Because of you, Richard, because of Ted and the guys that were down there, Robert Escaville, I said to myself, hey, I want to be down there. I want to be around those guys. Those guys are my friends. I want to be down there. I want to learn from them. And so that's why I chose to move down there. And then it didn't work out that way for me in the end because they turned it into uh, a security wing later on because of the riots or whatever. But my point yeah. is like saying, like, hey, because of the love, the respect, and the admiration I have for you guys, that's why I wanted to move down there. I just remember, like, how you inspired me. Like I said, again, 
I, I still quote you to this day about your the, the last talk you gave at church. Here I am, a guy who considers himself a Muslim. Most people consider me a Muslim. And I'm playing on a team, a softball team called Soldiers for Christ. I'm going to church on Wednesday to hear a sermon, you know, from a from a, a Christian guy named Richard, his last speech. And uh, it just inspired me so much to answer your, your mom's question. Like, yeah, I, I believe. Do, do I know you better than anybody that was in there? No, I, I obviously Ted and Jason knew you better, way better than me. However, what I did know about you, yes, you you inspired me in many ways. Just your stance on not having to fit in to the norm of prison life, to the criminal beliefs, and, and standing on your own and doing your own thing and doing it for the right reasons. It inspired me so much, and um, I believe it had a big impact on, on who I am. Um, for my initial cornerstone training, you were one of my trainers. And you were in the room and giving me feedback and, and giving me the real feedback when I needed it. Like, hey, you're showing up like this, but also like the encouragement in, in, in my my cheerleader, you know, when when I needed that and like, you know, a hug or whatever. I mean, you were always there. And so it, it, it meant a lot to me. It, 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 it inspired me. It gave me a great example, and I still see it and use it to this day. And I and I appreciate you, and and I love you. So I love I you too, James. Question. <laughs> I love you too, and I appreciate you. And yeah, I had to ask my mom asked, but uh, I love you too, yeah. and Truly, I saw I saw your transformation live, and uh, there's few men that I know whose lives are completely changed in terms of just the whole package, attitude, behavior, way of being. Uh, conversation, uh, loving people, giving back. It, you just, uh, your transformation is a natural expression of who you are today. And it's just uh, amazing to be your friend. So I'm grateful. I got another question here. If you had the opportunity to talk to every first termer without a life sentence, what would you say? Man, I would share the stories of the men, first of all, who, who came and didn't have life and never went home and never went home to the guys who continue to go back and forth and back and forth and just try to explain to them and let them know they're like, look, it's because of your beliefs. And I will try to get after those beliefs and, and just try to get at them real early into their, their senses. You don't have to follow what's going on around here. They just had a riot recently and a guy was finna go home. He was going home in a couple weeks and he lost his eye. He lost his eye. Because he had, he felt he had to be part of what was going on the way it is. So I would just explain to him, you don't have to do that. You can do what's best for you and for your family and not get caught up in this if you choose to, if you choose to. And so I, I think that's, that's the basic. I mean, obviously it would be a longer conversation, but that's the, the basic meat of what I would try to give him. Thank you, James. So let's end this interview with you sharing a parting piece of guidance. For our audience of incarcerated loved ones, what gift do you have for these incarcerated loved ones who are waiting? I mean, you, this whole interview has been a gift. You're a gift. But what parting words, what parting gift do you have for the incarcerated loved ones who are waiting for their loved ones to transform their lives and come home? Well, the first and foremost, that it, that it's possible that any any human being at any given time in their life can choose to transform. I don't care where they're at in their life right now. I don't care how bad they're doing or what they're going through. At any given moment that they can change and they can transform their life. 
And if they haven't, I won't want to have that victim responsible with the loved one. Even though it's their choice how they're living, I would ask the loved ones, how are you contributing to them remaining to that criminality that they're clinging to? Like, how are you helping them? How are you supporting them in that? And what conversations are you having or not having that you should be having to help them see what they need to see so they can transform their lives? I mean, I, I believe that's, that's where it's at. For a long time in my life, people my my sister and different people who loved me and supported me, but they were willing to not have the conversations with me, you know, about how I was living and how I really wasn't committed to coming home. So I would suggest to the loved ones that, like, look, have those conversations with your loved ones. You know, even if they get mad at you at that moment, you know, it's, it's still the conversation. It's still support them, still love them, still go to see them, but have those conversations with them, how bad you need them out there, and what they're doing is not helping them come home. Man, thank you. Appreciate that. And is there any other anything else you would like to say? Anything yeah, else you'd like to share? Say, Go ahead. Well, well, no. This is like, look. This is like times have changed. Like, look, circumstances and and, and people don't define or don't make you do anything. You you do what you want to do in life. You are who you are, and the circumstances will only unveil who you are, how you, how you react to it. But but I want to say this, after saying all that, that, look, times are changing, laws are changing, there's a lot of bills, there's a lot of ways to earn yourself out of prison. So for the prisoners that, 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 that get an opportunity to hear this, it's never too late. You can you can earn your way up out of prison for the loved ones. They, there's an opportunity for your loved ones to come home. So I don't care if they have life without, I don't care if they have 50 or 60 years of life, there's plenty of people right now that are earning their way out of prison just because you made one bad decision, one bad choice in your life, and even if it's taking another human being's life, which is something that you'll never be able to fully give back, you'll never fully be able to recover from, the community won't, you can still earn your way out of prison and get up out of here and go do good. So just always keep that in mind. Thank you for listening to The Prison Post, a production of The Crop Organization. We'll be sharing more stories from the world of prison reform and restorative justice, so please join us. You can listen to The Prison Post on all major podcasting platforms. Subscribe to our videocast on YouTube and like us on Facebook at The Prison Post and at Creating Restorative Opportunities and Programs.